The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapters 2 and 3. We begin at 1 Peter 2, verse 11, and we read through chapter 3, verse 7. Here, where we pick up the scripture reading, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Peter is transitioning to the second half of the letter. He has emphasized who God's people are as pilgrims and strangers, begotten again unto spiritual life, and now they need to live accordingly. And that's where we pick it up, chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation, behavior, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And now he gets into specifics. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if... When ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Likewise, ye wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, the word that is preached, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation, the behavior of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. 
For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is that last verse, verse 7 of chapter 3. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how does a Christian family go about building a Christian home? That's the question we've been considering recently on the occasion of baptism. How does a Christian family go about building a God-fearing home? Well, in the first sermon we had in this series, we considered that fundamental truth expressed in Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. God builds the Christian home. And if there is anything good in our homes, it is because of God's goodness and His grace and covenant mercy. And as we go to work laboring and seeking to establish homes that are pleasing in God's sight... We must constantly be looking to the Lord, depending on the Lord, relying on His strength, His grace, and His direction. And what that means is that we also follow His Word. We follow His blueprints for the building of a covenant home. So that we see that this is the Lord building the home. These are His plans, and He's the one working in us and through us according to the blueprints He provides. That's exactly where we are in this series. We are looking at God's blueprints for the building of a covenant home. We began by looking at the blueprints for marriage. That's foundational. Understanding what marriage itself is as a divine, as an institution of God, and as a picture, a reflection of Christ and His church. That's where the blueprints start. And then now we start delving into that a bit more. In our last sermon, we looked at the husband's position as the head of the home. That's part of the blueprints for building a covenant home. And this morning we have our second sermon on the husbands. We consider this morning the husband's calling to dwell with his wife according to knowledge. So we take as our theme this morning, blueprints, number three, the husband's calling to dwell with his wife. We're looking at building a covenant home. We look at this theme under three points. First, we consider who the wife is. Second, we look at what the husband's calling is in light of who his wife is. And then third, why this is so urgent. Well, as we begin to work through this text together, and we begin to look at who the wife is, we first need to recognize that clear language that the Apostle Peter uses. Peter refers to the woman, to the wife, as the weaker vessel. That's obvious in the King James Version. I think we see that. But it perhaps comes out even clearer when you notice the original word order 
And we could really tweak the translation here in verse 7 just a little bit to show the word order a little bit better. Listen to this. This is how the New American Standard Version puts it. And I think it does a nice job of, of the literal word order. You husbands, likewise. That's how it starts out. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, according to knowledge. And now notice the word order. As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. Or since we would say the word wife is used in the King James, since she is a wife, since she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And the point simply is to establish more clearly who the wife is. Who is the wife? She is the weaker vessel since she is a woman. Since she is the wife. She is the weaker vessel, namely the feminine vessel. That's what Peter is saying. So who is my wife? First of all, what Peter says is this. She is a weaker vessel and that is because she is a woman and because she is the wife. Well, now we need to unpack this idea. What does that mean? First of all, vessel. She is the weaker vessel. We need to understand right away that that word vessel itself is not a demeaning word. In fact, we just had a sermon a few weeks ago on how ministers are earthen vessels, clay jars. In the book of Romans, Romans 9, the Apostle Paul refers to all people as vessels. All people are vessels. We are either vessels of wrath fitted to destruction or vessels of mercy fitted unto glory. And there in Romans 9, Paul is speaking about election and reprobation. In Acts chapter 9, God calls the Apostle Paul a chosen vessel, a chosen vessel to bear God's name among the Gentiles. So the word vessel is not demeaning. And we also should bear in mind the word vessel does not just refer to someone's body. It refers to the whole person. Who that person is as a whole entity, body and soul. The idea of the word vessel then is this. A vessel is something that has been crafted and tailored by one's own fingers and hands. Think of a potter at his pottery wheel, shaping and molding clay into a vessel, into a jar, a pot. The word vessel emphasizes who we are as created by God and fitted by God for the purpose He has for us in our lives. That you are a woman or that you are a man is because God, the potter, has formed you and shaped you to be either a man or a woman. God is the one who makes us either male or female. This is who we are as vessels. That's the word vessel. Second of all, the woman is the weaker vessel. In the marriage bond, the wife is the weaker vessel. And what we should first notice about that word is this, weaker. Those last two letters, E-R. This is a comparative. This means that the husband is a vessel too. And not just a vessel, but a weak vessel. God says about the husband, you are a clay pot. You are weak. In 1 Peter 1, verse 24, Peter writes, quoting the Old Testament, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Husbands are as grass. Husbands are weak. And then God's word says this, The woman is a weaker vessel. Well, again, what does that mean? Because Peter doesn't tell us. 
What Peter simply says is this, the wife is the weaker vessel, the feminine one. And he says it so matter-of-factly as if it's obvious, as if we all know this is true. But he doesn't say in what way she is the weaker vessel. Well, when we read our Bibles and we look at the account of creation and we look at God's work of redemption, I think it becomes very plain what these words do not mean. And what we need to be emphatic about is this. These words do not mean that the female is in any way inferior to the male. Now, in one sense, I even find it a little offensive that I should have to say that explicitly, but the reality is this is our sinful nature. This is the culture around us. It's demonstrated throughout history that men are... Men are inclined to treat women and abuse women as if they are somehow inferior or less than a person. As if men are somehow better than women. And they have a license to treat women in a demeaning way, in a way that they themselves would never want to be treated. There may be men here this morning who are inclined to think their wives are inferior to them. But that just shows you your own pride and ignorance and your complete ignorance of Scripture's own command to esteem others better than yourself. Even the text itself expressly commands us to honor the wife, give her respect, give her reverence, recognize her value, and do so precisely because you recognize who she is as a weaker vessel and as a co-heir of salvation. I wonder if a lot of the sexual sins that plague the church is because men have this view that they are superior to the women in their lives and they can treat them how they want. It's like King Ahasuerus wanting to parade his wife's body in front of all his men. He is superior and his wife is inferior so he can dishonor his wife as he sees fit. Instead of honoring her, he treats her like an object. That's really what porn is all about, treating women as inferior. It's a further outworking of this same sin and mentality. And it should go without saying women... Don't marry a woman who to- don't w- marry a man who tolerates porn in his life. That man is a wicked man, and he will encourage you to think of yourself as inferior to him. So no, we're not talking here about superior versus inferior. That's not that's not the distinction here. And to say even more, we should add this. We tend to think that stronger means better. And weaker is less. But that's wrong. Stronger is not necessarily better. Just for one simple example, when I have a rose, a single rose, and I want to display that rose on my kitchen table, I'm not going to get a heavy clay pot out of the garden shed and use that heavy clay pot. But I'm going to use that beautiful, delicate vase that I store away high up in the cupboard. Because stronger is not necessarily better. Even the phrase, you throw like a girl. That's offensive, beloved. Boys, don't talk that way. That kind of a comment is made with the attitude that boys are better than girls. You are not better than your sisters. You are not superior to your sisters. You may be stronger, but you are not superior And the fact that you are stronger only means that you have that added responsibility to use that strength for good. Again, what we need to appreciate is this. 
The Christian wife, just like the Christian husband, the Christian woman, like the Christian man, is recreated in the image of God, in righteousness and holiness and true knowledge. The woman does not experience a lesser experience of salvation than the man, simply because she is a woman. And in line with all of that, as a child of God, the woman ultimately has the same calling that the man has before God. To deny herself, to take up her cross, and to follow Jesus. And that requires of her, in her own way, the same kind of spiritual strength and courage as the man. And that's very obvious, even from the context, what we read earlier in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Just appreciate that exhortation he gives to the women, the wives. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, the preaching, they might also without the preaching be won by your behavior, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now consider what kind of spiritual strength and faith is needed to carry out such a commandment. For a woman to embrace her God-given role as a wife and to even submit to an unbelieving husband as unto the Lord, that calls for abundant faith and courage and spiritual strength and wisdom on the part of a godly woman. And we might even add this, because she is the weaker vessel, this calling is sometimes all the more demanding for her to carry out than the man. So although the wife is a weaker vessel, she is not inferior to the man. And so again, we ask, what does this mean? Verse 7, where Peter writes, as unto the weaker vessel, the womanly one, the feminine. How is she the weaker vessel? Well, we can mention three ways, three Ps. First, physically. Now, that doesn't mean that there are no exceptions, that there are no women who are not physically stronger than their husbands. But I think it's clear, it's obvious to all of us from the way that God has made male and female that he made the male physically stronger of the two. And that makes sense. When God brought Eve to Adam to be his suitable helper, did God bring to Adam someone that he would be intimidated by? No. When God brought Eve to Adam, Adam saw that his physical strength was given to him for Eve's sake. He took her to himself. And then Eve herself was not intimidated by Adam's strength, but she was instinctively drawn to it to find protection and strength in Adam. I think that's generally understood. So first, the woman is, as the weaker vessel, weaker physically, generally speaking. Second, I think it's also safe to add this, psychologically. I'm thinking of the vessel as the whole person, the whole being, body and soul. And so now second, psychologically, God designed woman as the more sensitive and fragile of the two vessels. She is weaker in that sense. Not inferior, but different. She is more sensitive. At least this much is true. Because the woman is physically weaker, she often suffers a psychological disadvantage. Because the husband can often use his physical strength against his wife in a psychological way. Abusing her emotionally or mentally. And again, this does not mean that there are not exceptions. But the woman generally, as to her nature and constitution, as a vessel, 
is more fragile. She is more delicate. She needs to be handled with care by her husband. That's exactly what the text is saying. She's often more emotionally sensitive. That's how God created her as the feminine vessel. Again, this doesn't mean she's inferior. From a certain point of view, you could say she's exactly superior in this regard. If, if we want to talk that way. But we don't want to talk about that way. He's not always as sensitive as she is. That's his lack. And, and that's where she completes him. That's her filling that up. That's also why the husband is the head in the marriage relationship. And he's the one who's given that ultimate responsibility uh, as the head in the marriage. God did not design the wife to bear those heavy responsibilities and burdens on her mind every day. God created the husband with that constitution to shoulder those kinds of responsibilities. This is what the figure of the weaker vessel presents to us. The man as a clay pot, is fragile. Ministers are earthen vessels. As a clay pot, he is certainly weak. He can be cracked. He can be shattered easily. When a man in combat sees the horrors of war, it affects him psychologically. It affects his emotional and mental state. Emotionally and mentally, the man is weak. But the woman is a weaker vessel. She is the more delicate piece of pottery. She's the more sensitive vessel. Yes, she really ought to be spared the horrors of war altogether. Who is going to fight the battle? Let the man fight. God has equipped the man, both physically and psychologically, to serve in that capacity. In this regard, I think it's a real question whether we should be supporting women going off to the National Guard or the military. Is that wise? Is this according to God's own design? And we should even ask, are we even asking these kinds of questions anymore? And talk about these things this way. This is something we as God's people ought to be interacting with and thinking about. The language that scripture uses. Well, that the woman, that the wife is the weaker vessel, is in harmony with the very reality of Christ and his church. The church as the bride of Christ finds her shelter in Christ. He is her hiding place, her strength and protection and her refuge. So it is with the wife and her husband. Jesus fights the church's battles for her. And when she is called to pick up the sword and fight, Jesus is always leading the way. He never leaves her or forsakes her. He's always at her side. He is her strength in the battle. So first, she is physically weaker. Second, we can say she is psychologically more sensitive. That's her femininity. And now third, what I must add is this, and what I think is more to the point in the text is this, positionally, in the marriage bond itself, as God has created the marriage bond, the woman is the weaker vessel. From the very beginning, the woman was made for the man. And as she is given to the man in marriage, and he becomes her head, and she becomes his body, to use that figure, the woman enters into a position in which she, as the wife, is very vulnerable. She is in the weaker position, because she is in that position of submission. Consider what the wife's position is in the marriage bond. Do we as husbands recognize how vulnerable that position is that our wives take upon themselves when they enter the marriage bond? To be put under the headship of a man who is physically stronger than her 
and who could abuse her psychologically. A man who has a sinful nature within him. And then not only that, but, but to be led by him in all the different aspects of life. Having you as her spiritual guide and head. Having you as her provider. As the father of the children she might be called to bring forth. Do you see her vulnerability, her weakness in that position? That's why in verse 5, for example, we read that the women of old trusted in God. They trusted in God, and in that way, they submitted to their own husbands. So this is who the wife is. She is the weaker vessel physically. I think we can also say more fragile and sensitive psychologically and emotionally. And perhaps especially positionally as the wife in the marriage bond. And again, this is not inferiority. This is the glory of the woman. This is her beauty as a woman, as one who is different than the man. And when the woman, the, the woman glories in her feminine identity in a Christ-honoring way, that's beautiful. And when the wife is comfortable in a relationship in which it's also clear who is the head, that's beautiful because that's how God created it to be. And when husband and wife fit together so beautifully, there's something very beautiful in that. So that's who the wife is, first of all, as the weaker vessel. And then as the text continues to say, the wife is also a co-heir of the grace of life. That's the second half of the verse, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Co-heirs. Your wife is bought with Christ's blood. She's regenerated by the same Holy Spirit. She was elected in eternity as the beloved child of God. Yes, she is called to submit to you as her husband, but you together as one flesh, as husband and wife, dwell together on the same spiritual plane. You live by the same grace. You are together equal inheritors of the salvation in Jesus Christ. Your wife is precious in the sight of the Lord. She may be the weaker vessel, but she is a very highly prized vessel of God. She's just as precious as you are. And then there's even this. Exactly because she is the more fragile vessel and more delicate, delicate God shows particular care for her as a woman. This is who your wife is. The weaker vessel and a fellow heir with you of the grace of life. Well, we're looking at all of this because we're asking the question, what are the blueprints for building a covenant home? And in light of all this, what are part of the blueprints for building a covenant home? Well, it involves this, that husbands, understanding now who their wives are, dwell with their wives according to knowledge and give their wives honor. It's part of the blueprints. If you want to build a covenant home, this is foundational. This is who your wife is. She is the precious daughter of Jehovah God, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. She is his beautiful, prized possession. She was designed and crafted by the potter's hand with a very delicate touch, molded and shaped on the potter's wheel, body and soul as a delicate clay vessel. Beautiful, to be sure, but also delicate. And she was placed under your care as her husband. God entrusted her to your safekeeping for the length of your marriage bond. You want to build a covenant home. You want to build a home that is spiritually edifying for your children. Do this. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge and honor her. Well, now let's unpack that. What does that mean? Dwell with her. Literally house together. 
live together with your wife. And the idea is not just physically under the same roof, but in all aspects of life. Live an intimate life of fellowship and friendship and love with your wife. Share your life with your wife. Live your life through your wife. Again, this is the same way Christ dwells with his, with his wife, with his church, in her and through her and with her. And that's how, how, how husbands are to dwell with their wives. Dwell with her. And then dwell with her according to knowledge. That is, corresponding to knowledge. Corresponding to what you know. And what does that mean? Well, it means many things. Dwell with her. Knowing the wonderful gift and provision God has given to you in giving you a wife. She completes you. You know that. You experience that. So live accordingly. Dwell with her, also remembering that the purpose of the marriage bond is to be a reflection of Christ and his church, and your calling is to faithfully reflect Christ. Dwell with her according to that knowledge. Dwell with her, mindful, knowing who she is as a precious child of God, a fellow heir of grace. She is royalty. You are married to royalty. Show her honor by dwelling with her. And I think perhaps especially this, Dwell with her, recognizing, being sensitive to how our wives are vulnerable in that position of submission under us, who are weak and sinful creatures ourselves. Recognize that. Have we considered what it is for the wife to take up the calling of verses 1 through 6? Lord willing, at a future occasion, we will look at these verses. Your wife has endeavored to submit herself to you. Maybe your wife has also been given the calling to be a mother. And yet, do we realize how our wives and mothers are bombarded by the culture around us who's telling them that they're living a deprived life, that they need to get out from underneath the bondage of the marriage life and the home life and a life of modesty and meekness, and they ought to live an independent lifestyle and flaunt themselves. And every day your wife has to say, no, this is my blessed calling. This is how I glorify and praise God. Do we recognize the spiritual struggles our wives and our daughters have to face with the temptations of the world every day, the way the world from all sides wants to degrade womanhood and put pressure on the woman and also degrade masculinity in its own way too? And the question for us is this, do we dwell with our wives in such a way and love them with such an ardent affection that our wives can joyfully say no to all those temptations to go in the way of the world? Well, the word honor only reinforces all these thoughts. Honor her. That is, esteem her and look up to her because of the way God has made her. And the word here for honor in verse 7 is translated earlier in this letter, chapter 2, verse 7, as precious. We honor our wives by letting them know how precious they are to us. And precious things are treated in a certain way. We don't just go to work every day and say, well, that's, that's how I love my wife. I'm working, aren't I? No, but we, we count them precious with our words and our time and our affection, by protecting them, protecting them spiritually, dwelling with them. 
Do our wives know that apart from Jesus Christ, our relationship with them is the most precious relationship we enjoy in the whole world? Now, obviously, at the heart of everything is this. Dwell with her, then, in the knowledge, according to the knowledge, of who she is as a weaker vessel. And our wives are sensitive to these things. They, they know this is how they're described in Scripture. And maybe then our wives are struggling with feelings of inadequacy. Maybe they even resent this because, because it conveys to them. And maybe the, 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 there's a culture that, that communicates that idea that a weaker vessel does mean inferiority. And, and then maybe we also compare them with the women of the world or other women at church. And our wives struggle with discouragement and all these feelings of inadequacy. They want to do their best, but maybe they doubt their own worth. They can be very sensitive towards things that that we're not sensitive towards. Are we as husbands there for them, being their source of encouragement and strength? Are we even aware of the different challenges and activities that our wives are going through through the week? Do we give them the time and, and the freedom and the safety so that they can openly and gladly confide in us about their deepest feelings and concerns? Do we talk with them at night? Or, or do I only have time for beer with the boys and spending time in the man cave? Do I tell my wife that I'm deeply thankful to God for her and that I appreciate her? Am I striving to grow more and more in knowing my wife so that I can dwell with her better? When you pray together at night, do you express your thanks to God for your wife so that your wife even hears it in your own intimate prayers with your Savior and your God? Do you allow your wife to be the weaker vessel in your marriage bond? Are you tender towards her? Do you respect her? Do you honor her by, by ensuring that, that there is a respect for her by others? Because I, I, she's precious. I think one of the biggest temptations for husbands is to be insensitive towards their wives, in, to be impatient with their wives' femininity, with their sensitivities. And, and then the husbands live rather independently of their wives, and, and they see their wife as a weaker vessel, and they become bitter against their wives. And it's a strange notion where I wish my wife was more like me, more masculine. I don't think that's really what we'd want anyway, but, but that's how we fall into things. That, that's the, the, tre- the, the way of thinking sometimes. This is how Paul emphasizes it in the text. In Colossians 3 verse 19, we're going to read that tonight. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That's what Paul, Peter is emphasizing in this text. Our wives are the weaker vessel. They are sensitive. They are delicate. They do need you. They do need your time. They need your affection. And this is not because they're needy. This is how God has created it. This is good. This is, this is her beauty. This is how she ought to be. They need you to be there for them. And men, isn't this exactly how it is with you and your relationship to your bridegroom, Jesus Christ? You need Jesus to show you his love. You need Jesus to communicate to you how precious you are to him. 
You need Jesus to be there for you. That's what the church needs. And that's what we're called to reflect and to point our wives to, to point them to Christ and reflect Christ. As Christ is always considerate of his church, always showing her affection, always speaking words of love to his wife, always with her, always seeking her out, so ought husbands to love their wives, to nurture and cherish their wives. And it takes work. Not because of the weaknesses of your wife. Again, what we might be inclined to judge as their weaknesses, it's not weak, it's their perfections as a woman. And it takes work because of our own shortcoming as husbands. That's how we should look at it. That's esteeming her better than self. In congregation, if I may put it, this passage in its context, we need to recognize this also. This is how husbands are to live as pilgrims and strangers in the world. This is how husbands abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You want to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul? Don't make accommodations for those fleshly lusts. Don't treat your wife as an object so that you can indulge in those fleshly lusts. But fight against them. And this is how you do it. Servants, you do one thing. Wives, you have another calling. Husbands, dwell with your wives as a man of understanding. And give her honor. That's how you commend the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you have a walk that is honest among the Gentiles. That's how you live faithfully as a pilgrim and stranger. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. That's how we show the Lord our thankfulness. And we need to see Jesus in all of this. Because this is who Jesus is for all of us. Whether we are married or single. The focus this morning, obviously, even on the occasion of baptism. The focus is on husbands and wives and marriage. But whether we are single or married, whether we are male or female, or young or old, Jesus Christ is the one who dwells with you according to knowledge. He's the one who dwells with me as a man of understanding. He knows you. He's in tune with who you are as part of his bride. He knows your heart. He knows your nature and constitution. He knows your discouragements and your doubts. And he dwells with you. And that's part of the unspeakable joy of being a Christian. And if we would only listen to him, we would hear his words of love and affection because they are written on every page of Scripture. He shares himself, his secret thoughts with us. He tells us about himself. And he wanted even to be so sensitive to who we are as members of his bride that he even took upon himself our own flesh and blood that he might not only atone for all our sins and wash away our sins, but so that he might also fully understand and be fully sensitive to our nature and constitution. He understands who we are. Right? He, uh, he, he, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Hebrews 4, verse 15. He is able to succor us because he was in all points like us, except sin. And wonder of wonders, Jesus honors us. Jesus honors you. He counts you precious. So precious that he even 
makes the way for you to dwell with him in the highest intimacy of heavenly glory. That's where he makes a home. He's preparing a home so that he can always dwell with us according to knowledge in love. And the blueprints then for building a covenant home here on this earth includes this, that husbands heed the calling to dwell with their wives as a man of understanding. Well, briefly, very briefly, we consider why is this so urgent? Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Honor them as co-heirs of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. That's the urgency. My prayer life, my most sacred and precious relationship, my relationship with my God and my Father, and that relationship itself would be hindered if I don't dwell with my wife according to knowledge and I don't honor her as precious in God's sight. Not only will my own personal prayers be hindered, but our prayers together as husband and wife will be hindered. If I'm not living with my wife as I should be, as I know I should be, I'm not going to want to pray with her, nor her, nor she with me. What does the Bible say? If we're not right on the horizontal level with our neighbors, with our wives, we're not, we can't be right on the vertical level with God. How can we honestly get down at the side of our bed at night and hold our wife's hand and pray a sincere prayer, and all the while during the day you've been rough, and insensitive towards her, and distant from her. That man's religion is vain. He's praying to himself, and not to God. Oh, congregation, there are a few things more telling in marriage than your ability to pray openly and devoutly with your wife. And if you aren't praying together, I urge you, I strongly urge you to be committed to having a time of regular prayer, a regular time of prayer with your wives. How important this is for our marriages. How important for our families. How important for the children. And we're called to raise up in the fear of the Lord. That we might show them also the blueprints for building a covenant home. Well, thanks be to God that we have such a bridegroom, a husband as Jesus, who lavishes upon his church the grace and the forgiveness and the strength and the knowledge that we need day by day. May we continue to seek him for that in our respective callings. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for the clear instruction of thy word, and it is good and it is right. We thank thee for making us pilgrims and strangers, redeeming us with the shed blood of Christ thy Son, washing away our sins, and now as thy children, with thankful hearts, May we heed these callings. Bless the husbands and fathers, the men of the congregation, that the women, that the whole congregation might be glad and see uh, even a godly family here in the church family. Forgive our sins. Bless this preaching. Shape our hearts and lives by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.